And it's, it's like Pastor said, everybody's happy. They love to see people come. Uh, one day we uh, were there and the missionary said, come and see my little church and the people I'm working with. So we stopped along the road and we walked around this trail. And I still have my flight uniform on, the bars and all that, like a pilot. And they saw me coming. And they ran in their house and they bought their, brought out the rickiest old chair you thought you'd ever seen. But that was the best they had. And they set it right in the middle of the little compound. And they wanted me to tell them about flying airplanes. They see them go over they don't only think about flying airplanes. And so they are very respectful of all the help that comes down to them. And uh, it's just a great uh, opportunity to serve. So I'd encourage you to go on a mission trip someday if you can uh, and see what it's all about. Well, Dick, Lynn and I have been with missionary flights for 35 years. We were in Iowa. We uh, Just to back up a little bit, we went to high school together and got married after high school. And when I was in the Air Force, I joined the Air Force. I was going to get drafted one of those times of, of the year when the uh, draft was still going. And so she went to nurse's training. I went to the Air Force. And after our training, uh, we got married, and our first base was Georgia. And second base was Kansas. And we got to Kansas, been there a few months, and I got orders to Vietnam. So moved her to Iowa to be with my family, and off I went to Vietnam. And I served there for a year. And uh, it was interesting when I went there because I'd worked on four-engine airplanes in the, in the Air Force and flown on them. I'd flown to Africa and South America as a crew chief. When I got to Vietnam, there was one of those airplanes sitting there just like it. I thought, boy, that's going to be my airplane. It was all spit polished and shined up and the, just glistening. Uh, Ellsworth Bunker used the airplane, and Westmoreland used the airplane, General Westmoreland. And I thought, that's going to be my airplane. Well, they said, no, you're going to put on, work on C-47s, which is the same things we've been flying for the last 30 years. Uh, and I, you know, I fought it for a little bit and said, you know, why am I doing this? Why are you doing this to me? And eventually I said, okay, I guess what it be. Well, you see, the Lord knew that 20 years later I'd be flying them in and out of Haiti. Same airplane. Uh, and I worked on it for a year, so I knew about them, knew how they operated. And then the Lord called us to missionary flight. So it took a few years. When I came back to the Air Force, I was stationed in Vandenberg Air Force Base, California. I got my commercial pilot certificate. And eventually when I came back to Iowa, I used the VA. I had a $10,000 VA program uh, for education. I used it all for flying. And it wasn't long after that the Lord called us to missionary flights. Our church knew about MFI because we supported it from Iowa. And so... Uh, we, had, we were living the American dream. We had four kids. Uh, we had a new house that we'd built on our farm, a little 40-acre farm. I had a good job in town, and everything was going great. And the Lord began to put the pressure on us. Our call was very strong. We knew we could do nothing else but go. Uh, every day, the Lord would remind me of the instrument, or the, uh, 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 license that I had in my pocket that met the qualifications that MFI needed for flying the DC-3s. So we sold our farm, including the house. Left the job. We uh, took the kids with us. We didn't leave them in Iowa. But, uh, <clears throat> and so we, we went down, and, and of course, we had to raise our own support. All the staff has to do that in MFI. So that started our, our uh, journey with MFI. I worked with the president then, the founder, for a few years, and then he retired, and I became president for the next 21 years. And uh, I've made, uh, I don't know, I figure I've made six or 700 flights to Haiti. I about I've almost 7,000 hours of flying a DC-3 over the Atlantic Ocean. And I remember many the times that Pastor Greg went with us. With us. I always like to take people on mission trips because it changed, I can see uh, the reaction in their life. Uh, it's one thing to be in a church like this and, and have missionaries like me come in or visit missionaries come in. But, you know, when you get on that plane and you go down to Haiti and you work or wherever you might go, 
you, you're, it's a real thing. You, you're on the ground. You see how those people live. You see their heart, and you want to want to help them. And so that's what we do at MFI. At MFI, we fly for over 500 faith-based ministries. Now, if you were down in Haiti, your mail service would be our mail service. Uh, you've become affiliated with us. We have a process of affiliation, almost like joining a church. We want to know what the missions are teaching and preaching, make sure they're sound doctrinal things. They have to be uh, presenting the gospel to the people of Haiti. And most missions have other things. They have some type of humanitarian work as well. You almost have to. You can't just go down to Haiti and start, you know, get your big Bible out and start preaching to them. They look at you like, who are you and why do we need you down here? But you know, if you can set up a clinic for them, or you can drill a well for them, or you do something that personally affects their children, their family, and then they, they say, you know, these people are serious. They really are here to help. Then they'll start listening to you. That's when the churches get started. We've had hundreds of churches planted throughout Haiti uh, through the ministries that we fly for. I'm going to show you three or four videos tonight. I found out, like the old saying is, a picture's worth a thousand words. And I could easily stand up here and I'd give you a thousand words. I got lots of stories. But I think the pictures are good. This little first one is a two-minute video on MFI, just briefly of what we do. So let's show that, Pastor, first. Missionary flights were started in 1964 by our founder, Don Belden. He led Youth for Christ rallies out in the Bahamas, and he also was a private pilot. And when the missionaries saw him, they would start asking him, Hey, when you come next time, can you bring this? Can you bring that? And so that was the start of missionary flights. They started looking at the Caribbean to find out where was the greatest need of Christian support to bring in supplies and where the greatest number of Christian missionaries were. So on a practical standpoint, we fly for over 400 missions that live in the Dominican Republic, Haiti, and a few that also live in the Bahamas. We partner with them to bring them the things that they need. And that can be in all types of forms of cargo. We fly a lot of missionaries and their personal belongings back and forth. We also fly youth groups and church groups that are going down on short-term missions. One of the other major things that we do is we provide mail for them. There's no way they would be able to get regular, reliable mail using any type of commercially available service. 
our founder's vision was that MFI wouldn't just be a humanitarian organization and help people with their physical needs, but that they would take up a defensive position spiritually on behalf of the Haitian people or the Bahamians or the Dominicans and to really minister their physical needs and their spiritual needs. If you can feed them, if you can meet their medical needs, if you can help them get clean water, they're going to say, hey, these people care about me. Why are they here? What are they all about? And, you know, James in the Bible tells us that faith without works is dead. And so people are showing that their faith is alive by the good works that they're doing. And we fly for a lot of well-drilling organizations and clinics and hospitals and schools and orphanages and on and on I could go. And that's the unique way that they're standing in the gap for the people of Haiti or the Dominican Republic. And so that's what we're all about. We want to help reach these folks for Jesus Christ. That's just a brief uh, overall of what we do, very short. But basically, we fly every Tuesday and every Thursday with one, two, or uh, either one or two airplanes. And uh, we fly their mail, their cargo. We fly a lot of work teams. The missions we fly for are all independent missions on their own. They're not connected with MFI except through the affiliation process. We're there to help them. So we stand in the gap wherever we see it. And if they want us to fly their work teams in, this is teams that come from various churches. So if this church decided they wanted to go down and help a missionary they knew in Haiti, they'd contact the missionary first, say, when can we come, what do you want us to do, whatever. And then they work out the details, give us a call, set up a date, and you fly in to us from here somewhere and get on our airplane and we take you into Haiti. And then your missionary will meet you there and take you off on your project. We still, we still fly into grass strips in Haiti. Uh, one of the reasons we keep the DC-3, it was built for that type of flying back in the 40s. And so they are a very tough airplane. They used to, have turbo, or used to have piston engines on them. Now we have turboprop engines, which is a jet engine running a propeller. So they're very efficient, uh, and they do a great job of serving missions. So we do a lot of work teams uh, that go from various churches, like I said. The teams do various things. Sometimes it's a youth group. Uh, that maybe they do nothing more than, in, in Haiti, a lot of the people just live in mud huts uh, or thatched huts, and the floors are mud. There's no flooring in there. Uh, you'll go by in the morning and see mom out there with her uh, broom. It's an old uh, broom they made out of uh, leaves, of banana leaves or whatever, and she's sweeping their house out, you know, and it's pretty hard in there, but there's crumbs that come loose, and so they're sweeping it out and cleaning it. So they'll send work teams down, and they'll take a youth group and they'll pour concrete just out on the, beside the house. And they uh, go inside and they pour con about two inches of concrete in that house. It makes a nice solid floor. They clean it better, sanitize it a little bit, and those kind of things. And then there's different projects. They often go down and work with the youth, the kids in the various uh, churches. Uh, almost every mission we fly for has some kind of a sponsorship program for the children of Haiti. So someone like you or me could spend $25 a month, send it to the mission. That pays a, a child to go to school, pays a teacher. It pays his uh, uh, uniform because they're kind of proud of that. They, that identifies them as students, and they're going to school, and, uh, and it gives them a hot meal the day they're there. They give their books and all that sort of thing. So it's a very good process, program, and most of the missions we fly for uh, have that type of a program going for the children of Haiti. They teach them up through about the sixth grade. And after that, then if they're uh, going to get some funding or if they're sharp enough and want to go on to higher education, they'll help them do what they can. But at least that way, they can read, write, do arithmetic, things that their parents can't do. You know, most of the Haitian people, uh, the uh, parents aren't, uh, aren't literate. 
Uh, they could speak the language but not read it and write it. I mean, yeah, write it and read it. Uh, so that's a real advantage of what, what the missions are doing. There's several aspects of our work. Sometimes we only talk about just what I've talked about here, the, the flights down, taking people, passengers, taking uh, the missionaries. They fly in and out with us. When a missionary gets ready to go to the field, he comes in with all his stuff, and we load his stuff on the airplane with them, the family. They may have a couple thousand pounds of belongings they need to take to set up housekeeping in Haiti, and that all goes on the airplane with them. When we land in Haiti, they go through customs right on the spot, so there's no waiting for their stuff to clear. They clear it with them and take it to the, wherever they're going to live and set up housekeeping that afternoon. Same way with the medical teams. The medical teams can just go right to work as soon as we get them in the, in the country. So, uh, but there's other aspects. Uh, we do emergency flights. Uh, emergency flights are obviously come up quickly. Uh, we don't always know. They're, we don't usually know they're coming. Recently, about three weeks ago, maybe you heard that the president of Haiti got assassinated. And uh, Haiti's been having some turmoil in their country, a lot of rioting, and there's different things. The missionaries have to be careful. They generally don't go out at night anymore because of the violence in the streets. But they killed the president. That's still being worked on who did it and all the investigation. But they cut, shut the country down. First, they said for two weeks. And they did shut the borders with Haiti and the Dominican Republic, which is on the same island. But after a couple of days, they opened up the runways, the airports. We'd gotten 50 calls from missionary teams that were down there. Some of them we'd taken in. Some of them got on the airline because the airlines couldn't fly either. So, but we couldn't go in because the airports weren't open. Well, after two days, they opened the airports. And so we took off on a Friday, and we flew down and got 22 people out of the grass strip that we fly into. The rest of the people that were down there wanting out, they were able to get out on the airlines since the airlines were flying and they were in the proximity of the uh, bigger airports. But we brought back 22 people. Whenever anything like this happens in South Florida, our news media from uh, West Palm Beach often comes up and interviews us, uh, asks what we're doing, want to be involved in it to show the people in South Florida of what's happening with missionary flights and mostly what's happening in Haiti. So this happened about three weeks ago, and I was able to pull this little short video off of the website for the TV station. And uh, this is a little clip they did that went all across South Florida about MFI helping get those 22 people out. This would be an emergency flight. With Haiti still in a state of siege, tonight 22 missionaries have landed back in the Treasure Coast after being stranded in that nation. WPTV was there uh, as their flight touched down hours ago. Reporter Todd Wilson spoke with those returning about their mission and also the nation in turmoil. Mission Flights International's DC-3 is taxiing on a runway at Treasure Coast International Airport. The flight arrives from Haiti. It will eventually come to a stop. Soon after, 22 weary passengers begin to walk off. On that flight is Nishak St. Amour and his family. Thank God. Still right now we left today. Everything was pretty quiet, but people still concerning 
what it's every day, every day, uh, what's going to happen tomorrow. What has happened is that the president of Haiti has been assassinated. Everything from public transportation, restaurants, to Haiti's two international airports was shut down. Mission Flights International, a nonprofit known for years to help with relief work across the Caribbean, is left scrambling. Their new mission, to figure out how to evacuate 22 missionaries from a grass strip in the middle of the country. We felt safe, but just didn't know what was going to happen. And if you can hear that the borders are locked down, that's where you get a little concerned. But late Thursday night, the organization got the news the airports were reopening. Friday morning, crew members arrive at their hangar. By 6.45, they're lifting off from Treasure Coast International Airport for Haiti. They landed back here around 4.15. Bill got a seat on the flight. It's very disappointing for the country of Haiti. Um, very saddened for, for all the people um, in the country. All are thankful to be home safe and sound, yet they long to help those left behind in need in Haiti. In Fort Pierce, Todd Wilson, WPTV News Channel 5. Well, obviously, we're very happy that we can do what we do to help missions. That's our whole life is to help missions. And it's exciting to see the local news media get involved with us in this way because it's good PR for us. Uh, we often are able to give our testimony and why we do what we do. The local community knows what we do and often respond when there is disasters. Uh, when there's a hurricane goes through the Bahamas or Haiti or wherever, uh, oftentimes the local people start bringing stuff in. The churches start responding to what our needs are. And not only do they bring supplies that we need to take to those places, they also bring money which helps buy the fuel. So that when we fly these flights, they're all 100% paid for. Uh, no one's charged. Uh, the funds that come in from those people and from uh, groups, churches, and so forth are what pays for those fees. During the earthquake in Haiti, you might remember that happened several years ago, MFI was doing our thing, three or four, three, four flights a week, and then the hurricane hit, or the earthquake hit, I'm sorry, and just destroyed the country in, in the Port-au-Prince area. In 30 seconds, over 200,000 people died. The building just comes straight down and just killed people everywhere. So we began to fly the next day. We had a flight in there and started bringing in supplies. And over the next couple of weeks or so, it started gearing up, and we were flying seven flights a day. We had to have chartered airplanes. I chartered a C-130 like eight times to get, that's 50,000 pounds per flight. Uh, Joe Gibbs Racing and Hendricks Motorsport, I don't know if you guys are any of your NASCAR fans, but uh, they called us and said, uh, our airplanes are idle right now, what can we do? We said, come down and help haul our medical people. We had a lot of surgical teams asking to go down and help from Orlando to Miami and everywhere in between. So they flew our medical people, uh, chartered two Cessna uh, caravans from uh, a company in Ohio. And they paid for the fuel to get down there and everything to operate them. And they flew the medical supplies in and all the other airplanes that were in the air. Uh, typically on a, a day that when the passengers, when the medical people would come in, we'd block off our parking lot. And we'd tell them to put all their stuff. We'd put two pallets there. And they'd pile all their stuff on two pallets. So we'd drag it into the hangar. We'd weigh it all and get it ready to go. And within a few minutes, we'd have them loaded and on the way. And by 10 o'clock in the morning, we'd have five airplanes on the way to Haiti, the three airplanes from the sports team and two caravans hauling the medical supplies. And then we'd haul, start hauling the other stuff, the, the supplies and the C-130s. And it was just an amazing time. Our poor hangar and our people just about wore them out. But it's such a community and a cooperative spirit there. 
the local churches came in, and uh, we'd have 100, 150 people in the hangar sorting this cargo and trying to get it all organized and get it boxed properly. So some of the local churches come in, the ladies, and said, you know, what can we do here? And they said, well, we've we got to feed these people. Maybe you can help us with some food prep. And for the next six weeks, the local churches went together, and every noon and every supper time, there was a team of ladies came in with meals all prepared. Maybe it was salads, maybe it was tacos, maybe it was spaghetti and meatballs, whatever it might be. And they fed all of our volunteers for, for about six weeks. It was amazing. And uh, such a time. But uh, those are the kind of things that, as a missionary pilot, that you get involved in that are uh, so rewarding. And I'm sure some of you have helped a neighbor or a friend sometime when they were sick or something happened. And you just feel good when you do that. You know, help with their kids or whatever it might be. And we do that all the time at MFI. And so uh, it's just a real rewarding ministry. Lynn and I have had a great time. She worked in the office with me for 25 years. Uh, when we first went to MFI, the uh, office was in a two-car garage. And that was the beginning. Uh, we, we got there very primitive. We had two airplanes. One of them was broken, needed an engine. They were out at the airport two, a mile away from the office. Uh, no facilities. We didn't have any hangar. We didn't have anything but the airplanes. And we rented that little office. And now MFI has two large hangars, a 28,000-square-foot hangar. All three DC-3s will fit inside. We have a 14,000-square-foot hangar, which we call heavy maintenance. When you've got an airplane, we're pulling engines off or doing something like that, and it goes over there. And I'll show you in a few minutes the hospitality park that we built uh, that's just gotten finished in the last few months uh, for the missionaries and we're volunteers that help at MFI. What I want to show you now is hurricane relief. You know, we never know when a hurricane's coming. Uh, first thing we do if it's going to get close to us in Fort Pierce, we fly the airplanes out. We go to Fort Payne, Indiana. There's a church up there that if you look out the window, you can see airplanes land. looks like they're landing in the parking lot. It's the city airport, but it's right beside the church. And they also have a Bible camp. So we fly all of our people up there with the, in the airplanes. We can't leave mom and dad, or can't leave mom home because the dad's the pilot. You've got to take mom and the kids and the cats and the dogs and all the things with you, you know, as you go. We stay up there a couple of days, and as soon as we get back into Fort Pierce, if it hasn't blown us away, our hangars, then we get involved in relief flights. About a year and a half ago, the Hurricane Dorian hit the Bahamas. You may have heard that. 180 mile an hour winds, stayed over the two islands for uh, two days, and just literally destroyed everything. And so MFI began to respond as soon as we got back, and we ended up flying 385,000 pounds of relief supplies. We flew 250 passengers in over the, as those flights went back and forth. We had 51 flights went back and forth to help that country and those people. And then, unfortunately, the virus hit. And so all the rules and regulations between Bahamas rules, United States rules, we couldn't go out there and bring work teams. We had work teams who wanted to go out and help reconstruct some of the damage. Couldn't do it. And didn't happen all last year. Couldn't do it. So those poor people just kind of sat there wondering what was going to happen next. And uh, finally, this year, we started flying work teams out. Been flying two, two, usually two airplanes on a Saturday. Uh, they go out and stay for a week, and they refurbish churches and whatever. MFI had about $250,000 left in our, that relief flight fund that we the people gave when the flights were done. And so there was a church, one church there. Lynn and I have been there at least 15 times. They have a mission conference every year. It's in Manowar Key in the Bahamas. And if you take a chainsaw and just go up that wall, across the top, and down that wall, and shove that whole wall out on the ground, that's what happened to their church. You could walk in that door and look straight out through the whole end of the church, not just part of it. There's nothing left. It's like, kind of like a hangar, just open on all sides. 
So what we're doing with the monies and the funds that came in, we're rebuilding the churches out there. There's two or three or four churches that we worked with over, have worked with over the years. So our idea was if we were able to church, rebuild the church, then the church people can help the local people, their neighbors, and get them back uh, going again. So there's kind of a gap there between time the storm hit and the initial relief efforts that we did until finally we're getting some rebuilt going on. And so uh, that's what's happening now. So the video I'm going to show is about the Dorian uh, hurricane and the relief flights that we do. You can smell the sewage in the water as well as the seawater, because seawater actually smells awful. And then the death in it from the animals and the different people that already started to pass, and even certain graves that came up in the midst of it. And uh, 
friend of ours. Uh, he lives on the island, Albury. That's a Bahamian name. And Ralph owns a ferry service, and the, the, the ferries go between the various islands to transport people and supplies and whatever needs to be done. Uh, we were out there at the Man of War at the conference here a few years ago, and uh, Ralph has a little cabin cruiser, nice boat. Everybody in the Bahamas fishes, you know, that's the thing out there. They live that way. Uh, they sell fish and lobsters and different things. So he took us out uh, as we was going out through the way for the dock. Can you believe out. that in August of 2018, we were just... <laughs> All right. Round on this spot. <laughs> he's getting backed up there. He's getting, he's getting better on that machine. He's getting, done, getting ready for I'm ready. <laughs> but anyway, Ralph was, was going out through the harbor. And there's eight of us on there as missionaries that gone out to the mission conference. We're all sitting there. And we're going to go fishing. And he announced to us that, look, there's eight of you on here. I'm going to take you out fishing. And whoever doesn't catch a fish is a false prophet. <clears throat> well, we all caught fish, fortunately. So there was no false prophets on that boat. So you've seen the regular flights that MFI makes. You've seen the emergency flights and the Bahama flights. We did something here uh, in the last three or four years that uh, was only a dream. About seven or eight years ago, I checked into a property that was right near missionary flights. You can't own land on an airport because the airport is owned by the county, and thereby taxpayers, and they own the airport. Now, we own our hangars, but we have to pay land rent for where the hangar sits and to lease the, the land where the hangar is. But across the road is public property. Anybody can own it. You can build a house over there or whatever. So it was five acres over there, and I always had a vision that it would be nice to have an RV park or something there to, for our volunteers. 
checked into it, the price, uh, estimated price that was, was est valued at $750,000. So we gave up that idea. But after I stepped down missionary flights, we sold an airplane, our last piston DC-3, had the piston engine, went to Alaska to a ministry up there. And we sold it, excuse me, <clears throat> sold it for $125,000. And all of a sudden, the bank decided to sell that property. They couldn't get it sold <coughs> any other way. And we bought it online uh, through an auction for 95000 And we built a hospitality park there and uh, RV park. So it's, <coughs> excuse me, it's quite a place. Uh, now, the music here that they're going to play, this is the guy that set this video up for me, uh, JJ. He used some Bahamian music. I don't know if you've heard Bahamian music before. Uh, it's kind of unique. The way they make their music is they take a 50-gallon drum turn it upside down, and they make they, they bend and beat on the bottom of that thing and shape it. <clears throat> they get it all just right. They take uh, mallets, and they beat on it. And the music that you hear is just what that music is. Pretty. And now, the reason that was done that way for us, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> is that we have the theme of our hospitality park for the cottages we have, and we have four cottages, is the Bahamas and the Caribbean. One of the houses is named the Haiti House, one's a Dominican House, one's the Bahamas House, and one's the Turks and Caicos House. And so all that's the Caribbean. So that's the reason he picked this little song. So I don't want to offend anybody, but be careful. You are Baptist, just don't tap your foot. <laughs> ...ground on this five-acre property that's only 525 steps away from the Missionary Flights hangar in Fort Pierce, Florida. We're at the Hospitality Park. And as you can see by the sign behind me and the beautiful flowers, there's also a center. We're going to go check out the 12 RV spaces that are on this property, as well as the island cottages. And I hope that you're going to have the opportunity to see just how the center and just how the cottages and just how the spaces are able to serve our needs as we stand in the gap for missionaries in the Caribbean. We got the Certificate of Occupancy for the Hospitality Center in June of 2020. And so right about that time, uh, the MFI's president, Joe Carabench, also did a bit where we walked through the center and he showed each individual room, really took some time to go through it. And so you can always look for that video if you'd like to know more about the center. But for the sake of time, we're going to do a quick tour through the center. I'll show you just a couple rooms, uh, how it looks, and then we'll move on to the hospitality RV spaces. Well, as you can see, we're in the grand room of the hospitality center. Now, this room is intended for a couple of things. It's got chairs and tables, so missionaries, that when they fly out, they have the ability to uh, have a continental breakfast. When they come back in after a long flight night, they can come in, they can have dinner that oftentimes is prepared for them by our park managers. Uh, it also has a grand piano. It has projection screen and projector. So if there's ever a need for a small little worship service or a, a group wants together, to get together and do a presentation, they have the option to be able to do that. We also have a TV. So any groups that are staying in the bunk rooms have the ability to come in, sit down and watch TV together or watch a movie together. Uh, we also have games that are stored in the closet. So board games, we have cornhole, just kind of everything 
uh, is being thought about to be able to make a group's time here more enjoyable as they travel to and from their place of service and as we hope to offer them just a little bit of rejuvenation in the amount of busy work that they'll be doing as they serve the Lord. And also in the hospitality center is a commercial grade kitchen that allows for us to be able to cook for teams and volunteers, allows us to be able to have small little mini banquets, uh, especially as uh, teams and groups are traveling in and out on us. And so uh, just a really great asset to go along with the grand room at the center. We do have two separate rooms for the guys and the ladies to be able to stay in bunks. And so we have uh, seven bunk beds in each room, and that means total of 14 bunks or 14 beds per room, 28 beds in total in the hospitality center to be able to accommodate larger teams or to be able to accommodate just an individual that maybe needs to stay with us for a single night, get up early in the morning with us and then fly down on their way to Haiti or the Dominican Republic or the Bahamas. And so um, along with each one of the rooms, we also have the restroom. So let's go check out the bathrooms, what those look like with their showers, their sinks uh, and just everything that they need to be able to prep for the morning when they wake up. exactly what the effect of our donation is going to be. And the hospitality center pool is actually a testimony to that. The individual that donated the money for the hospitality center pool uh, may not have known that they were actually going to be solving a major issue that had come up in talking with those that were staying in our RV spaces. And so as volunteers came and stayed in RV spaces uh, during 2020 and during 2019, before the hospitality center was complete, one of the major complaints was actually that there was nowhere to go outside where they wouldn't be attacked by bugs. And now, because of the hospitality center pool and the fine screen mesh that we have all around it, we've solved that problem. So if you're ever in a position where you might be thinking about donating and you're not exactly sure uh, whether or not that donation is going to be used to really help other people, I just want to let you know that God can always use your donation in ways that you could never have imagined. So thank you for donating, whether it's $5 or enough to build a pool. As we complete our tour of the hospitality park, we're going to go in and check out the cottages and the RV spaces. But as you can see, uh, the final little entrance point for the park is the ability to go through the gates. And so we can enter in a gate code, whether we're down below or above, go on in and enjoy a little bit of rest and relaxation. Four island cottages have been completed on the property as well as their certificate of occupancy. And so uh, behind me is the Dominican Republic cottage. It's ADA handicap accessible. It's the only cottage uh, that has been designed specifically to be that. Uh, but relatively, their layout is the same. And so uh, what I'm going to do is show you just a couple quick videos and some quick pictures just to give you an idea of what those cottages look like inside.
from some that stay at the RV spaces here at the park that they're some of the best that they've ever stayed in. And we take that as a compliment, and we also are glad that we can offer the very best that is available to those that are volunteering with us. And so the RV spaces have their power hookup, they have sewage hookup, they have cable, there's Wi-Fi that runs throughout the park, they have water that's available at each individual site. The sites are lit up at night, and so around each one of the planters that you see that's with each space, there's light to be able to provide safety among the park. There's like we saw a gate that allows for safety of in and out throughout the park. And so right across from these cottages, we have 12 RV spaces that volunteers have been using since the end of 2019 to serve missionaries in Haiti, the Dominican Republic, and the Bahamas as they serve at missionary flights. We're so thankful that they've been able to stand in the gap. And so now I'd just like to, again, take you through and let you see what those RV spaces look like through a few pictures and through a few videos. And that completes our tour of the Missionary Flights Hospitality Park. For more information, you can check us out online at missionaryflights.org, or you can always call the office. Just call 772-462-2395. And of course, you can always ask Dick Snook for more information. Appreciate you for watching, and thank you for supporting Missionary Flights International. All right, thank you, JJ. Just before I left, I uh, asked him to make that little video for us, and uh, so he put that little personal uh, touch on the end. Any questions about anything that you've seen tonight, uh, either about Lynn and I, or for the ministry, or what we do, or why we do it? Any thoughts? Any questions? Yes, Pastor. Right. We know in First Timothy chapter one verse twelve, this is where Paul is passing the baton to Timothy, and in that uh, verse it says, "I thank Christ Jesus, my Lord." Paul says that He enabled me, counting me faithful, putting in the ministry. If you study Paul's life, most of what talents he had or the uh, education he had came before he was saved. He was raised up in Gamaliel, and he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Uh, he hated Christians. He was uh, persecuting them. And you see all that, and all of a sudden Paul gets saved, and now he's wonderfully reaching out to people. But he knew where they, what they thought, what they knew. And you know, I think God prepares us. He prepares you to do something for him. We all have talents. We have responsibilities to use those talents. And so in my case, and I went to Vietnam, came back out, we started our family, and I bought this little farm, worked with my dad in a well-drilling business, went to church where our church supported missionary flights, so I knew about it. And then Don Belvin would come up once in a while at the conference and uh, kind of pique our interest. And I was working on my ratings just for myself, thinking maybe I could do some commercial flying someday or something. And as I was working on and, and continuing uh, it finally came to my realization that I had all the qualifications that MFI needed to be a pilot mechanic with him. 
And it just kind of opened our eyes. And Lynn and I thought about it and talked about it. And she felt that we should go. And so we prayed about it. And uh, I was 39 years old when I went to Missionary Flight. So I wasn't a young kid, snapper, you know, right out of college or all this and that. God had used those years of experience. I taught Sunday school class, led music in the church. I was on the chairman of the board and all those things that God was using, those simple things, to eventually make me the president of missionary flights and to fly airplanes for all these years supplying missions. And so because of our love for missions and our love for airplanes, God put it together and made sure that we got to do what we wanted to do and what he wanted us to do. So it, uh, it just... Uh, Challenges you guys and yourselves. I know some of you aren't spring chickens anymore like us. Uh, and uh, you know one of the great things about getting old, and there's not too many, but one of the great things about getting old is looking back in your life and see where God uh, moved and did and worked for you. You know, I didn't volunteer to go to Vietnam, but God sent me there. For why? Because I learned DC-3s. And then I got my... Pilot ratings, thinking it was just all for me. It wasn't for me. It was God in the plan. And then, of course, when Lynn and I went to MFI, like I said, we, we were in a two-car garage. I mean, I didn't go for the facilities. I mean, the guys that come into MFI now say, wow, this is beautiful. This is we thought about making them work outside in the rain for a year or so before they get to come in the hangar because we had to do that. We worked for 42 years, MFI did, on the ramp in West Palm Beach. No hangars, no nothing. And someone said when we finally moved to Fort Pierce and we got our nice big hangar, that finally MFI had served their 40 years in the wilderness and it was time to come to the promised land. So God gave us the promised land. And that's the whole story itself, how we got up there. But uh, you just look and look back so many things. I could go on and on about the stories. Because I'm not a big fundraiser. I don't twist arms. I don't do any of that. I just share what God has done. And the funds come in somehow from somebody. When we bought our house. I'll just tell you one story. We all bought our big hangar up there. First off, we've been to Palm Beach International for 42 years. They came to us one day and says, we want you guys out here. We don't want you on the airport anymore. We, we want nice, fancy jets. Uh, Rush Limbaugh's airplane set in a hangar that we could throw a rock and hit it. That's how close we were out. In the, we were outside in the weather. He's in this nice, beautiful hangar, which is fine. He could afford to do that. Then had a $25 million Gulfstream. That's the clientele they wanted on the airport. Palm Beach is, well, that's where Donald Trump lives. That gives you an idea. That's the clientele and the people they want to pull in. They don't want old oily DC-3s that are 60 years old out there on the ramp. So we began to look, and we, we fought it for five years, trying to stay there, asking for land. We'd build our own place, whatever. Finally, Lynn and I started driving up the coast to decide where we were going to go, because it's obvious we had to go someplace. We had to get off the field. And so we settled on Fort Pierce. Didn't have much money, it all saved. And I was making these negotiations with, uh, with the Fort Pierce airport, uh, they had a hangar up there. It's the one we eventually got, but it was uh, this big 28,000-square-foot hangar. They wanted to lease half of it to us for $11,000 a month. And someone's going to lease the other half. And I didn't like the idea of leasing half of a hangar. It's like leasing half your garage. Who would be in whose way? You know, somebody. The, 90, the DC-3 has a 95-foot wingspan. So we'd obviously have a wing hanging over in the other guy's <laughs> part. So I said, no, we're not interested in that. So we started working with an architect, working with an architect. And we got a, the county gave us a little chunk of land or leased it to us. And we, we'd go up every week or so and work with this architect, and he's making the plans, and he's adding things here and there. And we'd like to have an office over in this corner, and we'd like to have a paint booth over here. This little hangar started getting bigger. Finally, one day I said, you know, I wonder whatever happened to that big hangar. 
did those other people take the hanger or whatever happened? So I went over and asked the owner. I said, what happened? He said, I don't know. We, he, they didn't want it either. So we're, they were rebuilding the hangar after it got damaged in a hurricane. It was like brand new. I said, would you consider selling the hangar? And he said, well, I hadn't thought of that. I was going to just lease it. And he said, well, I have to check with the bank. He said, I own four or five hangars up and down. This is the biggest one. Ours is the biggest hangar on the airport. But, and uh, he said, I have to check with the bank. So about two weeks later, we go up, and we're in the back room of the restaurant there dealing with this architect again. He's getting all excited about his drawings and all this. And in walks the owner of that hangar that we've been negotiating with behind the scenes. And now here sits the architect. He doesn't know about all these negotiations, you see. So the three of us, my staff, looked at each other. How are we going to handle this? Well, lo and behold, God handled it for us. The architect got a phone call. And his cell phone, he gets up and he walks outside to talk on the phone. <laughs> so it's just that owner and the three of us. And I said, did you talk to the bank? He said, yes. And we'd already predetermined that if it was over $1.8 million, we couldn't do it. And he, I asked him how much, and he said $1.7. And that was turned everything around. I mean, 100%. We knew what we was doing. I still didn't have any money. <laughs> so we had to figure that out. And I got a call from a lady in West Palm Beach. She had the power of attorney for her boss. I've never met her boss. I met her a couple times. But she could buy and sell and make transactions under his permission. And she said, the boss has got two big helicopters, and he's been trying to sell them. Nobody wants them. We'd like to just give them to you guys. Well, the first thing I thought was these helicopters are setting out behind the hangar in the weeds someplace. someplace. That's usually what missionaries get, something that's almost worn out, and if you can... Get a little heartbeat out of it. You might get like air, so I've had people come and want to donate airplanes to us, and they're, they've been sitting for ten years, they're just not worth it. But these were beautiful helicopters in the hangar, all ready to go, and so he donated them to us, and we sold them for half a million dollars. And then I got a, a grant for about three hundred and fifty. So I had over half the money, or right out half the money. So the owner said he would carry us on the rest. So Lynn and I, we went to the bank, we signed a note for. Uh, one or about nine hundred thousand dollars, and uh, twenty years, nine percent or six percent interest, and walked out and said, "Well, we we've, we've got a hangar. We, at least we had to do something. We had to leave Palm Beach, so we had to do something, and we paid it off in three and a half years. And the Lord just turned things around and beautiful hangar. So there's so many stories like that that go on and on just to see. And again, that's another advantage as we get older and look back and see all the things that God did at Missionary Flights. And we, we just kind of felt like many, most of the time we were along for the ride. We were a spectators watching it happen. Today, MFI owns, owns those two hangars. We have three turbine DC-3s. We have this big hospitality park and no debt, period. And so it's been a real blessing to see how God works in this ministry. So if you ever get a chance to come to Florida, why well, come down and see us. We'll give you the grand tour. Uh, if you give us a little heads up, we'll get you, a, you can spend a night in one of the cottages uh, that you just saw there on the video and uh, help us out or be down there to just to visit what we're, what we're, and see about what we're doing and see the missionaries. When missionaries come through our hangar all the time. If you like missions, you like missionaries, you love what we do. So, any questions? All right, well, thank you guys for shifting your schedule a little bit and going for the evening service. It's helped us out a lot. We were in Morton, Illinois this morning, which is near Peoria. Uh, church there supported us for over 30 years, and uh, just a real blessing to be there with them. They saw the same videos that you did, and uh, they've been a real blessing to us. They've, had, they've sent work teams to Haiti and the Bahamas with us a few times, so they've actually used our service for serving missionaries that they have support. So, any questions?
Yes, sir. Yeah, the Christmas bags, uh, there's a brochure back there. There's other brochures, but there's one that's a Christmas bag if you want to pick that up and read it. And I don't know exactly, something around $10, if you don't want to pack a bag yourself. You say, I'm just too busy at Christmas time, or generally we like it before Christmas. It needs to be in Indiana by around the 1st of October, so that's coming up. Because it has to go in a shipping container, and it takes a couple weeks to get there, and then have to go to customs and all that to get in. But you can actually send for, I think it's $10, a bag, and they'll pack it for you. Uh, Stan is the guy that runs that for us. He's over in Indiana. I guess Indiana's that way. And uh, he goes around all year and goes to places that he can buy pencils and toothpaste and toothbrushes and all the things that go into that those bags. And uh, then he has, uh, he's got two houses. So one house he lives in and one house he's fixed up for a warehouse for uh, the Christmas bags. And they've got tables set up. And about twice or three times a week, ladies groups come in and they pack bags. I just talked to him the other day, and they, the ladies had packed 2,000 bags that week out of the supplies. So if packing the bag is too much work and you don't rather, you know, you'd like to do it, but you don't think you can work out the time, go shopping and all that, just send some money to – and you send it to MFI. It's an MFI project. It's, Stan Curtis is the guy that's operating it from Indiana because he has other contacts. He puts all kinds – the last ship he went, he put 25,000 pounds of food on. He puts uh, 10,000 pounds of corn He's worked out a, a program with all the farmers or not with the farmer elevators in his area. A few years back, we sent a huge corn grinder to Haiti and they make corn meal out of it. So he goes to the uh, elevators and they donate so much corn to him and they bag it, put it in a you know nice paper bag, heavy duty, and he puts it on the shipping container, goes down, then they grind the corn, they use it for food. Lots of things he's involved in. So. So if you'd like to be involved in the project, you might want to take up a love offering. You just say, here, that's for the, the uh, uh, bags, Christmas bags. Or if you just like to go shopping, make four or five bags, send it to Stan. The address is on there, and he'll make sure it's on the next flight. So we'll be back there by the table by the back door, so you want to visit a while or whatever. I feel free to do that and thank the pastor and his kids. We got to see his, all his whole family tonight, which we saw every Sunday at church. But... Uh, for some reason, they looked larger than they did back then. They were, it was this size, you know. Not not this way, but, you know. <laughs> so it's good to see them and uh, to know they're uh, doing well. And uh, we just appreciate all they've done through the church and through knowing them. Reagan was about this big, remember, when I saw her, I think, the first time. Uh, we joined the church about 2006. So I'm not sure what year she's born, but she wasn't very big in 2006. She's when? 2002. She's four years old. Yeah, she's so she's. When the pastor told me the other day, she drove from from West Palm Beach up to uh, Pensacola uh, by herself. I said she probably didn't even have a license, does she? She's not old enough. She does. <laughs> so, of course, Jonathan, he's a big guy down too, and good to see him and on the whole family. So praise the Lord for that. Thank you guys for letting us come, and the Lord bless you as you serve this church and serve missions.